Hey all, and welcome to ChapterWise, where I take public domain or other authorized use works of fiction and narrate them for you one chapter at a time. If you like what you hear, please follow my channel. If you love what you hear, please consider supporting my channel. I try to upload new chapters three or four times a week. The Memoirs of Fanny Hill by John Cleland Originally published in 1749 Letter the Second Madam, if I have delayed the sequel of my history, it has been purely to allow myself a little breathing time, not without some hopes, that, instead of pressing me to a continuation, you would have acquitted me of the task of pursuing a confession, in the course of which my self-esteem has so many wounds to sustain. I imagined, indeed, that you would have been cloyed and tired with uniformity of adventures and expressions, inseparable from a subject of this sort, whose bottom, or groundwork being, in the nature of things, eternally one and the same, whatever variety of forms and modes the situation are susceptible of, there is no escaping a repetition of near the same images, the same figures, the same expressions, with this further inconvenience added to the disguise it creates, that the words joys, ardours, transports, ecstasies, and the rest of those pathetic terms so congenial to, so received in the practice of pleasure, flatten and lose much of their due spirit and energy by the frequency they indispensably recur with in a narrative of which that practice professedly composes the whole basis. I must therefore trust to the candor of your judgment, for your allowing for the disadvantage I am necessarily under in that respect, and to your imagination and sensibility. The pleasing tasks of repairing it by their supplements where my descriptions flag or fail. The one will readily place the pictures I present before your eyes, the other give life to the colors where they are dull or worn with too frequent handling. What you say besides by way of encouragement concerning the extreme difficulty of continuing so long in one strain, in a mean tempered with taste, between the revoltingness of gross, rank, and vulgar expressions, and the ridicule of mincing metaphors and affecting circumlocutions, is so sensible, as well as good-natured, that you greatly justify me to myself for my compliance with a curiosity that is to be satisfied so extremely at my expense. Resuming now where I broke off in my last, I am in my way to remark to you that it was late in the evening before I arrived at my lodgings and Mrs. Cole, after helping me to range and secure my things, spent the whole evening with me in my apartment, where we supped together, in giving me the best advice and instruction with regard to the new stage of my profession I was now to enter upon, and passing thus from a private devotee to pleasure into a public one, to become a more general good, with all the advantages requisite to put my person out to use, either for interest or pleasure, or both. But then, she observed, as I was a kind of new face upon the town, that is, was an established rule and part of trade for me to pass for a maid and dispose of myself as such on the first good occasion, without prejudice, 
However, to such diversions as I might have a mind to in the interim, for that nobody could be a greater enemy than she was to the losing of time. That she would, in the meantime, do her best to find out a proper person, and would undertake to manage this nice point for me, if I would accept of her aid and advise to such good purpose that, in the loss of a fictitious maidenhead, I should reap all the advantages of a native one. As too great a delicacy of sentiments did not extremely belong to my character at that time, I confess against myself that I perhaps too readily closed with a proposal which my candor and ingenuity gave me some repugnance to, but not enough to contradict the intention of one to whom I had now thoroughly abandoned the direction of all my steps. For Mrs. Cole had, I do not know how unless by one of those unaccountable invincible sympathies that nevertheless from the strongest links, especially of female friendship, won and got entire possession of me. On her side she pretended that a strict resemblance, she fancied she saw in me, to an only daughter whom she had lost at my age, was the first motive of her taking to me so affectionately as she did. It might be so. There exists a slender motive of attachment that, gathering force from habit and liking, have proved often more solid and durable than those founded on much stronger reasons. But this I know, that though I had no other acquaintance with her than seeing her at my lodgings when I lived with Mr. H., where she had made errands to sell me some millinery ware, she had by degrees insinuated herself so far into my confidence that I threw myself blindly into her hands, and came at length to regard, love, and obey her implicitly. And to do her justice, I never experienced at her hands other than a sincerity of tenderness and care for my interest, hardly heard of in those of her profession. We parted that night, after having settled a perfect unreserved agreement, and the next morning Mrs. Cole came and took me with her to her house for the first time. Here, at the first sight of things, I found everything breath of air of decency, modesty, and order. In the outer parlor, or rather shop, sat three young women, rather demurely employed on millinery work, which was the cover of a traffic in more precious commodities. But three beautifuler creatures could hardly be seen. Two of them were extremely fair, the eldest not above nineteen and the third, much about that age, was a piquant brunette, whose black sparkling eyes and perfect harmony of features and shape left her nothing to envy in her fairer companions. Their dress, too, had the more design in it, the less it appeared to have, being in a taste of uniform, correct neatness, and elegant simplicity. These were the girls that composed the small domestic flock which my governess trained up with surprising order and management, considering the giddy wildness of young girls once got upon the loose. But then she never continued any in her house whom, after a due novitiate, she found untractable or unwilling to comply with the rules of it. Thus she had insensibly formed a little family of love, in which the members found so sensibly their account in a rare alliance of pleasure and interest, and of a necessary outward decency, with unbounded secret liberty, that Mrs. Cole, who had picked them as much for their temper as their beauty, governed them with ease to herself and them too. 
To these pupils then of hers whom she had prepared she presented me as a new boarder, and one that was to be immediately admitted to all the intimacies of the house, upon which these charming girls gave me all the marks of a welcome reception, and indeed of being perfectly pleased with my figure that I could possibly expect from any of my own sex. But they had been effectually brought to sacrifice all jealousy or competition of charms to a common interest, and considered me a partner that was bringing no despicable stock of goods into the trade of the house. They gathered round me, viewed me on all sides, and as my admission into this joyous troop made a little holiday, the show of work was laid aside, and Mrs. Cole, giving me up with special recommendation to their caresses and entertainment, went about her ordinary business of the house. The sameness of our sex, age, profession, and views soon creased as unreserved a freedom and intimacy as if we had been for years acquainted. They took and showed me the house, their respective apartments, which were furnished with every article of convenience and luxury, and above all, a spacious dining-room, where a select, reveling band usually met in general parties of pleasure, the girls supping with their sparks and acting their wanton pranks with unbounded licentiousness. Whilst a defiance of awe, modesty, or jealousy were their standing rules by which, according to the principles of their society, whatever pleasure was lost on the side of sentiment, was abundantly made up to the senses in the poignancy of variety and the charms of ease and luxury. The authors and supporters of this secret institution would, in the height of their humor, style themselves the restorers of the golden age and its simplicity of pleasures, before their innocence became so unjustly branded with the names of guilt and shame. As soon then as the evening began, and the show of a shop was shut, the academy opened. The mask of mock modesty was completely taken off, and all the girls delivered over to their respective calls of pleasure or interest with their men. And none of that sex was promiscuously admitted, but only such as Mrs. Cole was previously satisfied with their character and discretion. In short, this was the safest, politest, and, at the same time, the most thorough house of accommodation in town. Everything being conducted so that decency made no entrenchment upon the most libertine pleasures, in the practice of which, too, the choice familiars of the house had found the secret so rare and difficult of reconciling even all the refinements of taste and delicacy with the most gross and determinate gratifications of sexuality. After having consumed the morning in the dear endearments and instructions of my new acquaintance, we went to dinner, when Mrs. Cole, presiding at the head of her club, gave me the first idea of her management and address, in inspiring these girls with so sensible a love and respect for her. There was no stiffness, no reserve, no airs of pique or little jealousies, but all was unaffectedly gay, cheerful, and easy. After dinner, Mrs. Cole, seconded by the young ladies, acquainted me that there was a chapter to be held that night in form for the ceremony of my reception into the sisterhood, and in which, with all due reserve to my maidenhead that was to be occasionally cooked up for the first proper chapman, I was to undergo a ceremonial of initiation they were sure I should not be displeased with. 
Embarked as I was, and moreover captivated with the charms of my new companions, I was too much prejudiced in favor of any proposal they could make, to as much as hesitate an assent, which, therefore readily giving in the style of a carte blanche, I received fresh kisses of compliment from them all in approval of my docility and good nature. Now I was a sweet girl. I came into things with a good grace. I was not affectedly coy. I should be the pride of the house. And the like. This point thus adjusted, the young women left Mrs. Cole to talk and concert matters with me when she explained to me that I should be introduced that very evening to four of her best friends, one of whom she had, according to the custom of the house, favored with the preference of engaging me in the first party of pleasure, assuring me at the same time that they were all young gentlemen agreeable in their persons and unexceptionable in every respect, that united and holding together by the band of common pleasures they composed the chief support of her house and made very liberal presents to the girls that pleased and humored them, so that they were, properly speaking, the founders and patrons of this little seraglio, not but that she had at proper seasons other customers to deal with, whom she stood less upon punctilio with than with these. For instance, it was not one of them she could attempt to pass me for a maid. They were not only too knowing, too much town-bred to bite at such a bait, but they were such generous benefactors to her that it would be unpardonable to think of it. Amidst all the flutter and emotion which this promise of pleasure, for such I conceived it, stirred up in me, I preserved so much of the woman as to feign just reluctance enough to make some merit of sacrificing it to the influence of my patroness, whom I likewise, still in character, reminded of it perhaps being right for me to go home and dress in favor of my first impressions. But Mrs. Cole, in opposition to this, assured me that the gentlemen I should be presented to were, by their rank and taste of things, infinitely superior to the being touched with any glare of dress or ornament such slick women would rather confound and overlay than set off their beauty with. That these veteran voluptuaries knew better than not to hold them in the highest contempt. They, with whom the pure native charms alone could pass current and who would at any time leave a sallow, washy, painted duchess on her own hands for a ruddy, healthy, firm-fleshed country maid. And as for my part, that nature had done enough for me to set me above owing the least favor to art, concluding withal that for the instant occasion there was no dress like an undress. I thought my governess too good a judge of these matters not to be easily overruled by her, after which she went on preaching very pathetically the doctrine of passive obedience and non-resistance to all those arbitrary tastes of pleasure, which are by some styled the refinements, and by others the deprivations of it. Between whom it was not the business of a simple girl who was to profit by pleasing to decide, but to conform to. Whilst I was edifying by these wholesome lessons, tea was brought in and the young ladies returning joined company with us. After a great deal of mixed chat, frolic, and humor, one of them, observing that there would be a good deal of time on and before the assembly hour, proposed that each girl should entertain the company with that critical period of her personal history in which she first exchanged the maiden state for womanhood. 
the proposal was approved with only one restriction of Mrs. Cole, that she, on account of her age, and I, on account of my titular maidenhead, should be excused, at least till I had undergone the forms of the house. This obtained me a dispensation, and the promotress of this amusement was desired to begin. Her name was Emily, a girl fair to excess, and whose limbs were, if possible, too well made, since their plump fullness was rather to the prejudice of that delicate slimness required by the nicer judges of beauty. Her eyes were blue and streamed inexpressible sweetness, and nothing could be prettier than her mouth and lips, which closed over a range of the evenest and whitest teeth. Thus she began. Neither my extraction nor the most critical adventure of my life is sublime enough to impeach me of any vanity in the advancement of the proposal you have approved of. My father and mother were, and for aught I know are still, farmers in the country, not above forty miles from town. Their barbarity to me in favor of a son, on whom alone they vouchsafe to bestow their tenderness, had a thousand times determined me to fly their house and throw myself on the wide world. But at length, an accident forced me on this desperate attempt at the age of fifteen. I had broken a china bowl, the pride and idol of both their hearts, and as an unmerciful beating was the least I had to depend on at their hands, in the silliness of those tender years, I left the house, and at all adventures took the road to London. How my loss was resented I do not know, for till this instant I have not heard a syllable out of them. My whole stock was two broad pieces of my godmother's, a few shillings, silver shoe-buckles, and a silver thimble. Thus equipped, with no more clothes than the ordinary ones I had on my back, and frightened at every foot or noise I heard behind me, I hurried on, and I dare swear walked a dozen miles before I stopped through mere weariness and fatigue. At length I sat down on a stile, wept bitterly, and yet was still rather under increased impressions of fear on the account of my escape, which made me dread worse than death the going back to my unnatural parents. Refreshed by this little repose and relieved by my tears, I was proceeding onwards when I was overtaken by a sturdy country lad who was going to London to see what he could do for himself there and, like me, had given his friends the slip. He could not be above seventeen, was ruddy, well-featured enough, with uncombed flaxen hair, a little flapped hat, kersey frock, yarn stockings, in short— a perfect plowboy. I saw him come whistling behind me with a bundle tied to the end of a stick, his traveling equipage. We walked by one another for some time without speaking. At length, we joined company and agreed to keep together till we got to our journey's end. What his designs or ideas were, I know not. The innocence of mine, I can solemnly protest. As night drew on, it became us to look out for some inn or shelter, to which perplexity another was added, and that was what we should say of ourselves if we were questioned. After some puzzle, the young fellow started a proposal, which I thought the finest that could be. And what was that? Why, that we should pass for husband and wife. I never dreamed of consequences. We came presently after having agreed on this notable experience— to one of those hedge accommodations for foot passengers, 
at the door of which stood an old crazy beldam who, seeing us trudging by, invited us to lodge there. Glad of any cover, we went in, and my fellow traveller, taking all upon him, called for what the house afforded, and we supped together as man and wife, which, considering our figures and ages, could not have passed on any one but such as anything could pass on. But when bedtime came on, we had neither of us the courage to contradict our first account of ourselves, and what was extremely pleasant, the young lad seemed as perplexed as I was how to evade lying together, which was so natural for the state we had pretended to. Whilst we were in this quandary, the landlady takes the candles and lights us to our apartment through a long yard, at the end of which it stood, separate from the body of the house. Thus we suffered ourselves to be conducted without saying a word in opposition to it, and there, in a wretched room with a bed answerable, we were left to pass the night together, as a thing quite of course. For my part I was so incredibly innocent as not even to think much more harm of going into bed with the young man than with one of our dairy wenches, nor had he perhaps any other notions than those of innocence, till such a fair occupation put them into his head. Before either of us undressed, however, he put out the candle and the bitterness of the weather made it a kind of necessity for me to go into bed. Slipping then my clothes off, I crept under the bedclothes, where I found the young stripling already nestled, and the touch of his warm flesh rather pleased than alarmed me. I was indeed too much disturbed with the novelty of my condition to be able to sleep, but then I had not the least thought of harm. But oh, how powerful are the instincts of nature! How little is there wanting to set them in action! The young man sliding his arm under my body drew me gently towards him as if to keep himself and me warmer, and the heat I felt from joining our breasts kindled another that I had hitherto never felt, and was even then a stranger to the nature of. Emboldened, I suppose, by my easiness, he ventured to kiss me and I insensibly returned it, without knowing the consequence of returning it. For, on this encouragement, he slipped his hand all down from my breast to that part of me where the sense of feeling is so exquisitely critical, as I then experienced by its insistent taking fire upon the touch and glowing with a strange tickling heat. There he pleased himself and me by feeling till growing a little too bold with me, he hurt me and made me complain. Then he took my hand, which he guided, not unwillingly, on my side, between the twist of his closed thighs, which were extremely warm. There he lodged and pressed it, till raising it by degrees, he made me feel the proud distinction of his sex from mine. I was frightened at the novelty and drew back my hand, yet, pressed and spurred on by sensations of a strange pleasure, I could not help asking him what that was for. He told me he would show me if I would let him, and without waiting for my answer, which he prevented by stopping my mouth with kisses I was far from disrelishing, he got upon me, and inserting one of his thighs between mine opened them so as to make way for himself and fixed me to his purpose. Whilst I was so much out of my usual sense, so subdued by the present power of a new one that, between far and desire, I lay utter passive, 
till the piercing pain roused and made me cry out. But it was too late. He was too firm fixed in the saddle for me to compass flinging him with all the struggles I could use, some of which only served to further his point, and at length an irresistible thrust murdered at once my maidenhead and almost me. I now lay a bleeding witness of the necessity imposed on our sex to gather the first honey off the thorns. But the pleasure rising as the pain subsided, I was soon reconciled to fresh trials, and before morning nothing on earth could be dearer to me than this rifler of my virgin sweets. He was everything to me now. How we agreed to join fortunes, how we came up to town together where we lived some time till necessity parted us, and drove me into this course of life, to which I had been long ago bettered and torn to pieces before I came to this age, as much through my easiness as through inclination, had it not been for my finding refuge in this house. These are all circumstances which pass the mark I proposed, so that here my narrative ends. In the order of our sitting it was Harriet's turn to go on. Amongst all the beauties of our sex that I had before or have since seen, few indeed were the forms that could dispute excellence with hers. It was not delicate, but delicacy itself incarnate, such was the symmetry of her small but exactly finished limbs. Her complexion, fair as it was, appeared yet more fair from the effect of two black eyes, the brilliancy of which gave her face more vivacity than belonged to the color of it, which was only defended from paleness by a sweetly pleasing blush in her cheeks that grew fainter and fainter, till at length it died away insensibly into the overbearing white. Then her miniature features joined to finish the extreme whiteness of it, which was not belied by that of a temper turned to indolence, languor, and the pleasures of love. Pressed to subscribe her contingent, she smiled, blushed a little, and thus complied with our desires. My father was neither better nor worse than a miller near the city of York and both he and my mother dying whilst I was an infant, I fell under the care of a widow and childless aunt, housekeeper to my lord N., at his seat in the county of Blank, where she brought me up with all imaginable tenderness. I was not seventeen, as I am not now eighteen, before I had, on account of my person purely, for fortune I had notoriously none, several advantageous proposals— but whether nature was slow in making me sensible in her favorite passion, or that I had not seen any of the other sex who had stirred up the least emotion or curiosity to be better acquainted with it, I had, till that age, preserved a perfect innocence, even of thought, whilst my fears of I did not now well know what made me no more desirous of marrying than of dying. My aunt, good woman, favored my timorousness, which she looked on as childish affection, that her own experience might probably assure her would wear off in time, and gave my suitors proper answers for me. The family had not been down at that seat for years, so that it was neglected and committed entirely to my aunt and two old domestics to take care of it. Thus I had the full range of a spacious, lonely house and gardens, 
situated at about half a mile distance from any other habitation except perhaps a straggling cottage or so. Here, in tranquility and innocence, I grew up without any memorable accident, till one fatal day I had, as I had often done before, left my aunt asleep and secure for some hours after dinner, and resorting to a kind of ancient summer house at some distance from the house, I carried my work with me and sat over a rivulet which its door and window faced upon. Here I fell into a gentle breathing slumber which stole upon my senses as they fainted under the excessive heat of the season at that hour. A cane couch, with my work-basket for a pillow, were all the conveniences of my short repose, for I was soon awakened and alarmed by a flounce and noise of splashing in the water. I got up to see what was the matter, and what indeed should it be but the son of a neighboring gentleman, as I afterwards found, for I had never seen him before, who had strayed that way with his gun, and heated by his sport and the sultriness of the day, had been tempted by the freshness of the clear stream, so that presently stripping, he jumped into it on the other side, which bordered on a wood, some trees whereof inclined down to the water, formed a pleasing shady recess, commodious to undress and leave his clothes under. My first emotions at the sight of this youth, naked in the water, were, with all imaginable respect to truth, those of surprise and fear, and in course I should immediately have run out had not my modesty fatally for itself interposed the objection of the door and window being so situated that it was scarce possible to get out and make my way along the bank to the house without his seeing me which I could not bear the thought of, so much ashamed and confounded was I at having seen him. Condemned then to stay till his departure should release me, I was greatly embarrassed how to dispose of myself. I kept some time betwixt terror and modesty, even from looking through the window, which, being an old-fashioned casement without any light behind me, could hardly betray anyone's being there to him from within. Then the door was so secure that, without violence or my own consent, there was no opening it from without. But now, by my own experience, I found it too true that objects which affright us when we cannot get from them draw our eyes as forcibly as those that please us. I could not long withstand that nameless impulse which, without any desire of this novel sight, compelled me towards it. Emboldened, too, by my certainty of being at once unseen and safe, I ventured by degrees to cast my eyes on an object so terrible and alarming to my virgin modesty as a naked man. But as I snatched a look, the first gleam that struck me was in general the dewy luster of the whitest skin imaginable, which the sun playing upon made the reflection of it perfectly beamy. His face, in the confusion I was in, I could not well distinguish the lineaments of, any further than that there was a great deal of youth and freshness in it. The frolic and various play of all his fine, polished limbs as they appeared above the surface in the course of his swimming or wantoning in the water, amused and insensibly delighted me. Sometimes he lay motionless on his back, waterborne, and dragging after him a fine head of hair that floating swept the stream in a bush of black curls. 
Then the overflowing water would make a separation between his breast and glossy white belly at the bottom of which I could not escape observing so remarkable a distinction as a black mossy tuft out of which appeared to be emerging a round, softish, limber, white something that played every way with ever the least motion or whirling eddy. I cannot say but that part chiefly by a kind of natural instinct, attracted, detained, captivated my attention. It was out of the power of all my modesty to command my eye away from it, and seeing nothing so very dreadful in its appearance— I insensibly looked away all my fears, but as fast as they gave way new desires and strange wishes took place, and I melted as I gazed. The fire of nature that had so long lain dormant or concealed began to break out and made me feel my sex for the first time. He had now changed his posture and swam prone on his belly, striking out with his legs and arms— finer modelled than which could not have been cast, whilst his floating locks played over a neck and shoulders whose whiteness they delightfully set off. Then the luxuriant swell of flesh that rose from the small of his back and terminates its double cope at where the thighs are set off, perfectly dazzled one with its watery, glistening gloss— by this time I was so affected by this inward involution of sentiments, so softened by this sight, that now betrayed into a sudden transition from extreme fears to extreme desires, I found these last so strong upon me, the heat of the weather too perhaps conspiring to exalt their rage, that nature almost fainted under them. Not that I so much as knew precisely what was wanting to me. My only thought was— that so sweet a creature as this youth seemed to me could only make me happy. But then, the little likelihood there was of compassing an acquaintance with him, or perhaps of ever seeing him again, dashed my desires and turned them into torments. I was still gazing with all the powers of my sight on this bewitching object, when, in an instant, down he went. I had heard of such things as a cramp seizing on even the best swimmers, and occasioning their being drowned, and imagining this so sudden eclipse to be owing to it, the inconceivable fondness this unknown lad had given birth to, distracted me with the most killing terrors, insomuch that my concern giving the wings, I flew to the door, opened it, ran down to the canal, guided thither by the madness of my fears for him and the intense desire of being instrument to save him, though I was ignorant how or by what means to effect it. But was it for fears and a passion so sudden as mine to reason? All this took up scarce the space of a few moments. I had then just life enough to reach the green borders of the water-piece, where wildly looking round for the young man and missing him still, my fright and concern sunk me down in a deep swoon, which must have lasted me for some time, for I did not come to myself till I was roused out of it by a sense of pain that pierced me to the vitals, and awakened me to the most surprising circumstance of finding myself not only in the arms of this very young gentleman I had been so solicitous to save, 
but taken at such an advantage in my unresisting condition that he had actually completed his entrance into me so far that weakened as I was by all the preceding conflicts of mind I had suffered and struck dumb by the violence of my surprise. I had neither the power to cry out nor the strength to disengage myself from his strenuous embraces. Before urging his point, he had forced his way and completely triumphed over my virginity." as he might now as well see by the streams of blood that followed his drawing out, as he had felt by the difficulties he had met with consummating his penetration. But the sight of the blood and the sense of my condition had, as he told me afterwards, since the ungovernable rage of his passion was somewhat appeased, now wrought so far on him that at all risks, even of the worst consequences, he could not find in his heart to leave me and make off which he might easily have done. I still lay all discomposed in bleeding ruin, palpitating speechless, unable to get off and frightened, and fluttering like a poor wounded partridge, and ready to faint away again at the sense of what had befallen me. The young gentleman was by me, kneeling, kissing my hand, and with tears in his eyes, beseeching me to forgive him, and offering all the reparation in his power— it is certain that could I, at the instant of regaining my senses, have called out, or taken the bloodiest revenge, I would not be stuck at it. The violation was attended, too, with such aggravating circumstances that he was ignorant of them, since it was to my concern for the preservation of his life that I owed my ruin. But how quick is the shift of passions from one extreme to another, and how little are they acquainted with the human heart who dispute it. I could not see this amiable criminal so suddenly the first object of my love, and as suddenly of my just hate, on his knees, bedewing my hands with his tears, without relenting. He was still stark naked, but my modesty had been already too much wounded, in essentials, to be so much shocked as I should have otherwise been with appearances only. In short, my anger ebbed so fast, and the tide of love returned so strong upon me, that I felt it at a point of my own happiness to forgive him. The reproaches I made him were murmured in so soft a tone, my eyes met his with such glances, expressing more languor than resentment, that he could not but presume his forgiveness was at no desperate distance." but still he would not quit his posture of submission till I had pronounced his pardon in form, which after the most fervent entreaties, protestations, and promises, I had not the power to withhold. On which, with the utmost marks of a fear of again offending, he ventured to kiss my lips, which I neither declined nor resented. But on my mild expostulation with him upon the barbarity of his treatment, he explained the mystery of my ruin, if not entirely to the clearance, at least much to the alleviation of his guilt, in the eyes of a judge so partial in his favor as I was grown. It seems that the circumstance of his going down or sinking, which in my extreme ignorance I had mistaken for something very fatal, was no other than a trick of diving, which I had not ever heard or at least attended to the mention of, and he was so long breathed at it, that in the few moments in which I ran out to save him, he had not yet emerged before I fell into the swoon in which, as he rose, seeing me extended on the bank, his first idea was that some young woman was upon some design of frolic or diversion with him, 
for he knew I could not have fallen asleep there without his having seen me before. Agreeably to which notion, he had ventured to approach, and finding me without sign of life and still perplexed as he was what to think of the adventure, he took me in his arms at all hazards and carried me into the summer-house, of which he observed the door open. There he laid me down on the couch and tried, as he protested in good faith, by several means to bring me to myself again, till fired, as he said, beyond all bearing by the sight and touch of several parts of me which were unguardedly exposed to him, he could no longer govern his passion, and the less as he was not quite sure that his first idea of this swoon being a feint was not the very truth of the case, seduced then by this flattering notion and overcome by the present, as he styled them, superhuman temptations, combined with the solitude and seeming security of the attempt, he was not enough his own master not to make it. Leaving me then just only whilst he fastened the door, he returned with redoubled eagerness to his prey, when, finding me still entranced, he ventured to place me as he pleased, whilst I felt no more than the dead what he was about, till the pain he put me to roused me just in time enough to be witness of a triumph I was not able to defeat, and now scarce regretted. For as he talked, the tone of his voice sounded, methought, so sweetly in my ears, the sensible nearness of so new and interesting an object to me wrought so powerfully upon me that in the rising perceptions of things in a new and pleasing light I lost all sense of the past injury. The young gentleman soon discerned the symptoms of a reconciliation in my softened looks, and hastening to receive the seal of it from my lips, pressed them tenderly to pass his pardon in the return of a kiss so melting fiery that the impression of it being carried to my heart and thence to my new-discovered sphere of Venus, I was melted into a softness that could refuse him nothing. When now he managed his caresses and endearments so artfully as to insinuate the most soothing consolations for the past pain and the most pleasing expectations of future pleasure, but whilst mere modesty kept my eyes from seeing his and rather declined them, I had a glimpse of that comparative observation of it, resuming its capacity to renew it, and grew greatly alarming with its increase of size, as he bore it no doubt designedly hard and stiff against one of my hands carelessly dropped. But then he employed such tender prefacing, such winning progressions, that my returning passion of desire being now so strongly prompted by the engaging circumstances of the sight and incendiary touch of his naked glowing beauties, I yielded at length at the force of the present impressions, and he obtained of my tacit blushing consent all the gratifications of pleasure left in the power of my poor person to bestow, after he had cropped his richest flower during my suspension of life and abilities to guard it. Here, according to the rule laid down, I should stop, but I am so much in notion that I could not if I would. I shall only add, however, that I got home without the least discovery or suspicion of what had happened— I met my young ravisher several times after, whom I now passionately loved, and who, though not of an age to claim a small but independent fortune, would have married me. But as the accident that prevented it, and its consequences which threw me on the public, contain matters too moving and serious to introduce at present, I cut short here.
That's it for today's chapter, everyone. Thanks for coming along on the ride. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please consider supporting my channel. And as always, whatever platform you're listening on, just know that I deeply appreciate the time you spend with me here. Please don't forget to like and subscribe. See you next time.